Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Patient Partner Innovation Communities Podcast. I am your host, Desiree Collins-Bradley, and I am really excited about the topic we're going to discuss today. But before I get started, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by ATW Health Solutions. ATW Health Solutions is a Chicago-based healthcare advisory and consulting firm that has gained national recognition for transforming healthcare delivery systems from ordinary to best in class. At ATW Health Solutions, we use a data-driven, evidence-based approach to make healthcare better by focusing on improving quality, safety, and most important, health equity in organizations and government agencies. Simply put, we create and implement innovative solutions for the right problems and the right people. So thank you, ATW Health Solutions, for sponsoring this episode. So you know, you heard me just say about health equity, right? We talk about health equity a lot. And I have a very special guest today, Mr. Darius Bradley. Mr. Bradley, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and just a little tidbit, um, I know Mr. Bradley very well as we have been married for, drum roll, 23 years. Yes. But I am, <laughs> yes, but I am super excited to bring him on as a guest because oftentimes, you know, we talk about health equity and we talk about that diversity, equity, and inclusion and shared decision making in healthcare. But our journey, um, and, I'll, and I won't speak for him, but his journey has been a little different as it relates to our daughter's care. So, Mr. Bradley, before we get started, um, how about you introduce yourself to our guests because they don't know you. So tell them a little bit about you before we get into the questions. Absolutely. Well, hello, guys. And I appreciate you, wife, uh, you know, allowing me to enter your space and, and, and join in your passion. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a kingdom man. Uh, I'm a husband of 23 years, been with my beautiful wife, Desiree, for 25 years out of the 23 that we've been married. Uh, we share together three phenomenal and beyond kids. Uh, Desi is truly the greatest gift that I could have ever received. Why? Because not only is she my best friend and my wife, she also has gifted me, like I said, with our three 
phenomenal kids. Um, outside of being a husband and a father, I'm a motivational speaker. That's the title that they give me, but I, I truly am just a, a mailman for God. I'm just a wrinkled up envelope carrying a message uh, that God has sent me to carry and deliver. So I'm known as divine encourager in the world, which means God's message. I'm also a multi bestselling author amongst a, a number of other things that I, I do in the world to serve uh, my gift. So I'm just a very passionate guy. I love life and I love my family with everything within me. Well, we love you too. And so, you know, when you talk about passion, I'm going to take us back a little bit and then bring us up um, to present in a minute. But when we had our daughter, so for those, you know, that have been tuning in with us for a while, you guys know I talk about our daughter, Deance, a lot. Deance was born with a very rare genetic syndrome called Jarko Levin, and she spent almost a year in the NICU. But when we began the journey with Deance, and Darius, I won't speak for you, I'll let you kind of explain. A lot of the focus was on mom, mom, mom. So share a little bit about that experience that you experienced in the NICU. And then um, I'd love for you to tell them about what did the team respond after you brought this up? Absolutely. Well, you know, revisiting that, you know, particular time and space is always a challenge for me because I, I get choked up quite a bit uh, because it's our real life story. And just like many others, you know, we all go through life and life isn't always going to be as simple, you know, and as fun as we would like it to be. It's going to come with contrast, many challenges and hurdles for us to jump over. And that particular time, you know, when we were in the NICU for the seven months that we spent the answers first uh, beginnings of life. Uh, it was very difficult, very challenging for my wife and I, and also our, you know, oldest, uh, Darius Jr., you know, uh, you know, who, who has been wanting to, uh, to be a big brother for, for quite some time, you know, and uh, finally having the opportunity to become that big brother and Desi and I having our second child, we did not believe and or expect, you know, the outcome and the results to look the way that they did. Um, so, of course, you know, worry was there, stress was there, all of the unwanted of the unwanted were there for his feelings and emotions. Uh, you're scared. We're scared. We're both scared. Uh, just didn't know what to expect. So with all of that, you know, taking place, all of the emotions that were, you know, uh, you know, arising at that time, you still have bills to pay. You still have work. You know, you still have responsibilities outside of the NICU. And trying to prioritize everything and maintain a sense of stability and normalcy uh, became quite challenging, you know, more challenging than I've, you know, ever been, you know, ever been challenged in my life. And so when you have the doctors and the nurses and, you know, the setting, the hospital setting that we were in, you know, uh, man, it was a scary moment. And trying to be that father and, and, and trying to be that husband that you know you are you know, um, and, and have, you know, being placed in a situation where things are out of your control, uh, you know, you just lose a, a sense of self-control at, at, at times and at moments trying to collect yourself. And I sell it out to say this, the unknowns were there. And, you know, the team, several members of the team would come in to the bedside and they would talk about Deontes. Okay, and talk about plan of care, talk about hypotheses and findings, but the 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 the, the conversation wasn't fairly directed 
towards both my wife and myself. And so many times uh, I felt excluded. Um, the eye contact would be there with my wife. Uh, the conversation would be directed to my wife. Even though I'm hearing everything and I'm seeing who it is that's saying and presenting these findings, you know, uh, I wasn't being directly spoken to. We weren't being collectively spoken to. And so it made me feel as if I were not a part of the team. And so, you know, we all deal with things differently. We all react and or respond to things differently. And so it leaves one to assume, you know, why aren't they speaking to me? Why are they directing everything to mom? Why is it that I'm standing here with my hands up in the air, waving them all around, jumping up and down, trying to be recognized that I am too in the room. I am dad. I want to know I love just as much. I care just as much. And, and I want to know and be a part of the plan and the findings just as much. And I'm having to fight, you know, just to get uh, a direction of, you know, um, you know, findings toward me. You know, uh, no one's talking directly to me. Everything is mom. And it's nothing wrong with presenting anything to mom. But, you know, I just felt at that moment that there were two parents, you know, there and we both, you know, deserved to be spoken to about our our daughter, not such a singular form, you know, conversation, but it should have been more of a plural form conversation of inclusion. And I truly, truly, truly felt excluded uh, at a, the most critical time, one of the most critical times uh, of our lives and in my life as a husband and a father, I, I felt as if I had no direct input or you know uh place you know in the conversation at all but you know you bring up a, a, a good point and I'm, I'm gonna jump to how you address the team but you know when you think about the cultural climate that we're in right this, this is a very tense climate even more so now than then as it relates to uh black men men of color right and so to be put in a, a situation, and I don't walk the walk of a black man every day, but I do marry to one and I know, you know, the struggles that he goes through every day just to feel safe, right? So it's a you bring up a really good point that you're there, you're present, and you still feel like you're excluded. So as a whole, we have to do a better job about that in healthcare to really provide that inclusive, welcoming environment. Um, but tell them, tell our listeners about um, the day you addressed the team. I thought it was real interesting the way you handled that in their response. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, <clears throat> it, it became overwhelming, right? Because I am that dad that loves very hard. I am that husband that loves very hard. And that's not to discredit any other dad and or husband that's out here in the world. But I can passionately speak about me because I'm the one who's walking this walk. I'm the one who has, you know, my shadow following me everywhere that I go. And as a black man, and it's nothing to do, you know, with, with race, but it's everything to do with race. And as I, I mentioned earlier, you know, it leaves one to assume when you're not being addressed, you know, uh, why? Why aren't I? being addressed and I, I just didn't know was it because I, I was a black man I am a black man was it because you know um, <clears throat> they, they they weren't used to f talking to fathers maybe you know I, they 
I, I just, you don't know, right? The hovering question marks are there. And, and with that being said, it's also important to note that that brings upon an even more, you know, added stress upon the situation that's so stressful that you're already going through. So, you know, I mean, anything that we can do to alleviate that stress, that's the direction mm -hmm. that we should be leaning in towards. But, you know, in my situation at that given time, I had an extreme amount of added pressure because I'm already trying to comprehend and deal with, you know, the situation, learn of our daughter and her complications and her hurdles and challenges. And now I'm being overlooked. And, and, mm -hmm. and, it's, and, and I'm wondering, am I not articulate enough? Am I not the right, you know, complexion? Am I to this? Am I to that? I just don't know. But whatever it is, none of that should even matter. Even, mm -hmm. you know, given the yeah. state and the situation that we're, we're in right now, none of that should even matter. I'm a dad, regardless of if I'm Hispanic, if I'm Caucasian, if I'm black, if I'm Indian, with whatever it is, I'm a dad that's present. I'm a father that's present. I'm actively there. I'm actively asking questions. I'm actively praying by the bedside. I'm actively supporting my wife. I'm actively being involved and committed and staying committed, mm -hmm. you know, to what it is my obligations are and continue to be. And that still went unrecognized. That still went unnoticed, unnoticed, and that still went, you know, without me being included. And so it just became, uh, you know, so overwhelming that I, 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 I reached the point of, you know, enough is enough. And I mm -hmm. could have been in uh, a state of reacting, but I chose not to react. I, I chose to respond. Because if we're talking about communication, then that's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. Yeah. And maybe I needed to model something to them that mm -hmm. they weren't used to. And so I chose to, you know, express myself and vocalize and verbalize in a more, you know, constructive, constructive illustrated way. And I, I just, you know, had to let the team know that, hey, guys, I feel as if I'm being overlooked in this matter. I feel as if my voice isn't being heard. I'm mm -hmm. overlooked. No one is looking me directly in my eyes. And that was the biggest thing. I couldn't even get the, the respect of having eye contact mm -hmm. from, you know, certain members of the team. I'm talking key members of the team, big decision makers. Mm -hmm. Everything was directed to my wife. And again, guys, nothing being taken away from my wife. But I I'm also there. We're there as a unit, a couple. That's right. You That's know, right. and, and I did not feel that, you know, we were being treated in that manner. And so I just had to express how it made me feel and why mm -hmm. I, I was feeling that way. And when I addressed the team and told them that I felt as if I was being excluded, I'm not getting the eye contact, I'm not getting the one-on-one, -on -one, you know, uh, conversations or the collective uh, as a group, you know, conversation. And their response to me were, uh, you know, was that uh, they apologized for it and they said that they weren't used to having the dads by the bedside. It was such a common thing not to have the dads present. It was such a common thing to only have the moms involved and the culture of the NICU was of uh, the absentee father. And so, you know, to their, you know, non-intentional 
actions uh they were they weren't used to seeing the dad by the bedside like that you know and having a, a father figure present you know to include uh in the conversations mm-hmm. that they they were having and so right then and there that triggered you know uh a resolve for me because not only was i thinking of myself at that moment uh after learning of their response it it triggered me to move into action right and so yep. how many other fathers are feeling this way how many other fathers are not by the bedside not because they don't want to be there but maybe it's that they can't be there maybe they're in another country maybe they're at work and they don't have any more PTO mm-hmm. or they don't have you know uh an option to have time off or the times that they are off from work or not lining up with the times that the teams are rounding and are mm-hmm. having their collective conversations maybe it's not because that dad just don't want to be there you mm-hmm. know he's not a bad dad maybe there's a, a real organic situation there that's preventing him from mm-hmm. being somewhere that he truly wants to be at that time with mm-hmm. priorities or you know uh prohibiting him from showing up and being present when everyone else is showing up and being present at that moment. And that's a, a really good point because I think about you know those families that and there was a a baby that was across from us and I remember that dad would only be able to come at night so the right. team never saw him but he was there in really a family man as yeah. well so you bring up you know those however that should not be a situation where we use it as an excuse not to engage right? right so tell us so as time went on you know the communication got better but there was a wonderful program that was born from that experience um called papas and pizzas yes so tell our listeners a little bit about papas and pizzas and what that is and how um that experience has been absolutely so you know not to discredit the accolades of any you know healthcare professional it's just an opportunity for us all to grow right so you know we take pride in being specialty this specialist that you know and there's nothing wrong with that but one of the main ingredients that we must stay committed to throughout it all is the the commitment to continue being uh you know uh a person and or people who do not lack in you know uh conversation you know conversation is the biggest you know uh piece to this puzzle and so without communication you know uh there isn't any stretch and or extension and or elevation in anything that we're striving to do and so at that given moment once i realized that you know that was the discrepancy you know uh we weren't used to seeing the fathers there for whatever reasons may be we just weren't used to it i also realized at that very moment that those dads did not have any guidance any gps uh in this newfound life that they were to begin living uh with their child and or children because it you know sometimes they were they would have uh twins back there in the NICU you know it's not just one child it's multiple childs and and some and children and some some you know uh instances some of the parents this wasn't their first visit 
to to the NICU. This this is their second, third time to the NICU. You know, and and it doesn't matter how long you're back there. You know, three seconds, three months, three years. Uh, each each second that's ticking back there in the NICU is a scary moment. And so, you know, for our fathers, I know what I went through, and I wanted to be of a resolve. I wanted to be of you know uh, one of the ingredients that can help bridge this gap. And so I expressed that to the team and the hospital. And uh, as my wife mentioned, uh, Papa's and Pizza program was born through the contrast and the challenges. So, you know, they, they gave some opportunity there to, to make things better than what they were. And a little bit about Papa's and Pizza, uh, the program uh, was a, a sit down of a group of guys. I call us the NICU Brotherhood. Uh, NICU fathers, whether you're newly, you know, uh, to the NICU or this is your, your second, third, fourth time to the NICU, it's always helpful to have someone who understands the language and understands the, the, the facial expressions and the silence and the outbursts, the cries and, and, the, and, you know, whatever it is that you're putting on display, someone who understands that. And so the, the program is geared towards uh, helping fathers transition and or properly navigate through the difficulties, the challenges, and or the contrast of being a father of a child who is experiencing health complications for whatever the reason may be, and however severe they may be, how to ground yourself in a spiritual, mental, financial, and beyond way with the proper guidance and help from brothers who are collectively going through the same, you know, uh, challenges on that same walk of life. And so we would sit down uh, once a week. Uh, was it, does it once a week, once a month? I think yeah, it was. It was we, we were doing it, well, I would say prior to COVID, yeah. once a week. Yeah, we're yeah, doing once it once a week. A week. And so it would be uh, a handful of guys, uh, the NICU brothers, uh, we would sit down in front of the wall of hope. Uh, and that's a collective series of photos with, uh, you know, stories attached to them of our NICU graduates uh, to promote uh, inspiration and hope for our little ones who are still behind those walls and still behind that door, that NICU door, and to give our fathers uh, that strength and support and encouragement and empowerment that they need to go back behind those walls and, and, and behind that door and by the bedside uh, stronger than they were before they had the opportunity to sit down with the brotherhood. And so it's just a group of brothers in a huddle of support and unconditional love to help each other navigate through times of difficulty and, and be that support that our family needs us to be. Yeah, and, and what I and, and I'll say this, Papa's in Pieces, hence that you would have pizza for them. And for those that have spent any time in a hospital setting, you know how expensive it is to eat in the hospital and pay for parking and all that stuff. So and what I thought was really beautiful about it is that it wasn't like a check the box. It was a situation, an opportunity for dads to come. They just sat there and didn't say anything. It was right. okay. If they came right. and cried, it was okay. If they came right. and took pizza and left, that was okay too. And right. I thought that was really, really great. And, and I just have to brag on you a little bit is that um, we received feedback. I remember 
um, going to an advisory committee meeting and they were talking about um, the different programs that the hospital was doing and they talked about problems and pizzas and somebody in the room and I can't remember who it was stood up and said that there was a dad that um, was very abrasive with the team um, and the team felt very intimidated by the dad. It was a very uncomfortable situation. He went to Papa's and Pizza sessions. I think he went to a couple and he realized from your mentorship and your support that he was kind of expressing those feelings in a negative way towards the team. And he was able to then go back after the session and apologize to the nurses and the staff because he didn't realize he what was a displaced aggression that he was um, expressing towards the team. So the program really helped, you know, dads in many different ways and really helped the staff as well, right? So the staff, Absolutely. you know, it provided a, a better working environment. Because who wants to go to work and, and deal with, you know, abuse from patients and families, right? It happens, it goes both ways. And so, you know, I really, you know, credit your effort and patience with these fathers and offering that support because I do feel like even in any inpatient setting the moms um, do receive a, a deeper level of support than the dads like our daughter it'll be 15 um, next week and we still we just went to a doctor's appointment what was that last week yeah and what did the we went to an eye appointment with our daughter and what happened in that eye appointment, Darius? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the tension is there, right? And and before I, I answer that question, you hit on something, right? You know, so it's not just from the healthcare providers, you know, uh, you know, lack of, you know, communication, but it's also us who are receiving the care, whether it be for ourselves and or for those whom we love. Uh, you know, some of us as, as fathers and, and, and as men, in particular, we already have a hard time expressing our emotions for whatever reasons may be. You know, uh, it can be to what we were exposed to coming up, you know, our environment, our situations, the strongholds in our lives. We are responding and reacting the way that they did. You know, uh, whether it be right or wrong, it's coming from someone that we love. So we we're wanting to be just like them. But, you know, uh, you know, to your point now, I'll, I'll get to that and answer that question as well. Uh, about the last doctor's appointment but you know I would make it a purpose not to let the fathers know that I was a NICU dad until the very end of our session and the reason that I did that was because I wanted them to see that just because we're going through some of the most challenging times in our lives where we need all of the love and support that you know we can receive at that moment that that does not prohibit us limit us or stops us from also being the strongest that we can be for those who are in need, even when we are in our most vulnerable stages of life, right? We can still be a strength for someone. So I would use myself as that illustration and speak life into my brothers of the NICU and, and give that support. And they didn't learn until the very end that the picture that we were sitting in front of and the story that we were reading was my very own daughter. And when they did learn that, you know, it just brought upon a new resuscitation 
you know, a new heartbeat, uh, a new uh, breath of fresh air to fill their lungs. And, and, and they were even more appreciative of that because they had, had the opportunity and at that moment to have a newfound strength. And mm -hmm. so you brought about, you know, the point where the father noticed his own behaviors you know, and, and, and how he was acting towards the healthcare providers only because he didn't know how to channel his stress and his, his worries mm -hmm. and all. And that's another reason why, one of the most important reasons why we should be including, including mom and dad mm -hmm. and communicating to everyone who's on the team, not just to a particular person because we're all coming in, the mothers as well. They're beating themselves up. What could I have done differently? Did I do something wrong? Did I eat the wrong thing, drink the wrong thing, sleep the wrong way? Did I stress? It's all, there's all kind of worries and concerns and question marks there, but to alleviate that bedside, you know, uh, I call it the, the four tires and, and to, to alleviate a flat uh, tire of the bedside, communication will always inflate and enabling us to have a more proper drive upon this journey that we're upon. So, you know, uh, yeah, I was happy that he recognized that and was able to do, you know, uh, then go and express you know himself to those care providers and uh and, but, and they all have a better rapport and i want to say this before you we discuss this most recent appointment but it also speaks to the the hospital system being able to say hey i'm going to provide this resource for my patients and families and right. yes papas and pizzas is was geared towards nicu fathers but there's many different units in the hospital that could really take that Papa's and Pizza's model and right. replicate it to the PICU, ICU, you know, whether that's pediatric care or um, geriatric care, spousal support. I mean, there's caregiver supports. There's ways that you can take that model of that informal communication over some pizza or whatever the resource allowed donuts whatever that you have the resources to do it's just being able to show that hey we trust that we're going to just kind of take our family advisor give them this safe space for these members of the hospital and provide a service and it's it's a very low cost high impact intervention because we know COVID has really put a financial strain on our hospital systems you know, people, some hospital systems aren't even allowing the advisors back in person. You can do it on virtual. Zoom can be tapped in anywhere. I would say think outside the box, think of the model and just try to spread it. Because I think, and people know when I say this, when you know better, you do better. And so by sharing this experience, hopefully those that are tuning in will take that nugget back to their hospital and say, hey, I want to do this for my patients and families. Yeah. So Darius, the and it's and this is I would say an ongoing journey. Yes, and it speaks to that culture shift. We have to keep at it, keep at it. We just went to an appointment last week, and what happened? I'll I'll let you share. Yeah, so you know it's it's an extension of you know being outside of the NICU and and still going for your regular maintenance routine follow ups, right? 
And and so you're still going to be that dad that you are. You're still going to be that mom that you are. And I know for myself, I, I know there's probably, you know, I'm not the only dad that feels this way. But, you know, I don't know what it is. And my wife can, you know, uh, can also, you know, vouch for this. Whenever we're outside of the home, I just become... I don't know, like a, a super protective, even more of a protective father outside of my controlled elements with not just my daughter, but but our sons as well. But, you know, but with Deion's, because I know there's, you know, certain things that she only have a, a certain capacity to maneuver and, you know, uh, you know, you know, have independence of. And so just pushing her wheelchair i want to be the one to push her wheelchair we have our own little thing that we do you know we clown around we have a great time and we're going to this doctor's appointment and i'm already you know whatever it is that's going on with her i'm always you know just uh at a a a heightened state you know whenever it comes down to her care and though this was just an eye appointment it's an appointment and so those same, you know, worries and concerns are there. Any hospital setting, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on. And once again, you know, uh, the eye doctor, he directed everything to my wife, uh, conversation. He pulled this little stool right up to my wife, eye contact with her. Everything was mom, 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 mom. I'm sitting right there. I'm holding all of Dion's bags wherever we go by her being on life support in a breathing apparatus. Uh, we have a lot of bags that we bring with us everywhere we go. Her suction machine, her travel bag, emergency travel bag, of course, her ventilator, you know, her oxygen. And I'm like a Christmas tree with all of these ornaments hanging off of me. So you see that, hey, this guy is someone who's involved in this young lady's life. And nine times out of 10, if you see us as a unit, you would, you know, assume that that's mom, that's dad. And so uh, all of the noticeables are there. But again, the conversation, the engagement, the involvement, the, the plural form, you know, conversations were not there. Everything was directed to my wife. And again, I just, I felt that tension. I felt that, you know, just overcoming of here we go again, you know, coming on. And it was so noticeable to my wife. She knows that she had to then, you know, correct the doctor or, you know, uh, involve me in a constructive way. And the doctor is asking my wife, you know, are there any questions that you have mrs bradley uh any concerns this and that and that and my wife said no i'm fine everything is good you know and he was about to conclude everything and so my wife turned then turned and looked at me and said honey is there anything that you would like to to ask the doctor and i the way he responded was almost as if he was aggravated and that was just my take on it and I talked to my wife about it and I you know asked did you feel the same way she was like I noticed it a little bit he then turned and was like uh is there anything you know uh, is there anything that you want to ask 
it wasn't the love that my wife was receiving. It wasn't the, you know, compassion that my wife was receiving from him. My, you know, his approach towards me, his direction towards me was kind of dry. And I didn't have anything to ask. And, you know, uh, so I said, no, there's nothing that I need to ask at this time. But why does it have to be such a forced conversation, a forced involvement? That makes things very difficult for whomever that child and or children's caregiver is outside of the hospital. We need to build a rapport so that we can all have that understanding of communication. So not only does our kids receive the proper care in the hospital, but yeah. we're also able to provide that care outside of the hospital because of the communicating that we're doing inside of the hospital because of the rapport mm -hmm. that we're building in the hospital. And that will never be if we continue this singular form way yeah. of, and style of communication. Yeah. So everyone must be included and that way we can go ahead and eliminate and or, you know, somewhat, you know, uh, you know, dial it down some on the emotions that parents mm -hmm. are feeling even before they even come in to the hospital setting. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I thank you for sharing this. And I hope that those that are tuning in will hear the theme that's been throughout this entire conversation is communication, communication, communication. Um, again, you know, we have to be able to provide those inclusive conversations and does that mean that we're going to get it right all the time no however we have to provide those opportunities to improve whether that's training right there could be training obviously that needs to get done we you know that cultural sensitivity we need to be aware of those different barriers and things that are involved and the other piece to it and i could talk for 30 more minutes but those social determinants of health, those social factors that are happening, those cultural barriers, we have to be aware and be more responsible in that aspect. So, Mr. Bradley, I thank you so much for sharing your insights and the wonderful program Pops and Pizzas with our listeners. I hope that you guys take the conversation that you've heard and be empowered and inspired and and again as always guys uh, be engaged follow the pp community online at atwhealth.com <laughs>